Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, this is Brett Claywell, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hi, this is Beth Maitland. And this is Joel Brooks. And we're on Brandon's Buzz. We're buzzing with Brandon. We are. We're buzzing with Brandon. So tune hey, in. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon. And I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have. So you need to tune this in. This is Gloria Loring, and I've just been buzzed by Brandon, and I gave Brandon some buzz. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome to Brandon's Buzz, Tuesday, November 10th, 2009. It is 9 p.m. here in Texas, 10 p.m. back east, 7 p.m. out in the sunny west, and I've got a great show tonight on Brandon's Buzz. You know, I usually tell you how to find the show and all of that at the top, and I'll tell you that at the end because there's a great guest tonight, and I don't want to waste a second of time with him. You know, soaps can be tricky minefields for actors to try to navigate, and so few actors are lucky enough or maybe just good enough to nab one signature role in daytime, let alone two. But get ready to meet a terrific man who miraculously managed to defy those odds. Depending on which network you happen to watch in the 80s and 90s, he's either best remembered as true blue good guy Michael Hudson on NBC's classic Another World, or as lovelorn sharkish attorney Sam Rappaport on ABC's One Life to Live. And he's come by the buzz tonight to talk about all of this and about so much more. What a great thrill and a huge honor to welcome to my show tonight the funny, the fascinating Cale Brown. My God, I feel like I should be Mariah Carey. Um, How are you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's it's, uh, it's a beautiful day here. I hope it's beautiful there. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's about 60 degrees. They're saying it's going to get up to 80 today, and it's going to be just a a wonderful fall day. Well, gee, it should get up to 50 here today, so... uh, (laughs) It's beautiful. I come out in the morning. The car's encased in ice. I think, really, is this is this where I want to live? Um, and and it's only starting. Are, are you in Are you in Boston or what part of Massachusetts are you in? Well, I, I'm all the way west. I'm up in the mountains uh, uh, in uh, western Massachusetts. Uh, wow, okay. Salt on the stop ringing. Um, uh, it's beautiful up here. I mean, I, I really, I just love it. Wow. Yeah. So it's real life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time, and it's such a great thrill to have you on the show today. I, I'm really excited about this. Well, thanks for calling. Okay, so, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so give, give me the 60-second bio on Kale Brown. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where did you go to school? Oh, my God. Uh, well, I was born in Northern California in a little town called San Rafael, which probably isn't so little anymore. Um, and uh, I went to school there. I went to Actually, I went to... Uh, College of Marin. Uh, we had his classmates with uh, Robin Williams and David Dukes and Kathy Quinlan. And there was a whole pile of people. Oddly enough, this little pocket of actors that continued to work um, out of that one school. It was pretty amazing. 
Um, we actually all went back years ago and did the entire works of William Shakespeare uh, 24 hours a day, nonstop, for five and a half days, as I recall. Wow. Um, because there were so many actors who were still working. We all went back and, and made enough money for a new light board. <laughs> it was great. Was it just something in the water, I guess? Um, <laughs> well, in the water we drank. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it was, you know, it was the 60s. It was California. Uh, uh, you know, it was, that's what was happening. So, yeah. um, you know, you drink the water and ask uh, what it was later. <laughs> um, anyway, from there, uh, pretty much, um, I, I'm, there's no other member of my family that was ever in show business. They all thought I was insane. Um, but I hit the road and uh, pretty much started working right out of, right out of college in uh, regional theater. So you always knew you wanted to be an actor? Well, you know, the best advice I was ever given, and it certainly was true for me, um, we had a, a real actor come over from ACT one day to a college of Marin, and he said, only become an actor if you absolutely can't do anything else. <laughs> and uh, you know that in, in my case, um, it's what I'm happiest uh, doing. You know, I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world when I get paid to do what I would do for free. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just no fun doing it at home by yourself. What would you What would you call your big break? What was the thing that kind of set you on your path definitively? I mean, there's a, there's breaks and there's breaks. Um, I would say that that certainly uh, the you know I, you know it's funny you ask that. I was actually uh, of course another world was really what sure. um, put me on the map as far as it was the first regular job I think I'd ever had. But I had always said to myself, you know, I that I. Soap operas, you only do that at the end of your life. Um, I mean, I, I had some kind of theatrical uh, ego that said, well, you don't do soap operas. That's, and uh, so I, I really never wanted to do one. And uh, I actually was in Brazil um, doing a, a film that uh, never got shot. Um, it was supposed to be about Halley's Comet, which uh, passed uh, while we were sitting there in Brazil waiting to shoot. And... Uh, uh, I got back to Los Angeles, and uh, I never wanted to move back to uh, New York either. And uh, first thing that happened was uh, was I got uh, they got, asked me to go in and read for uh, Days of Our Lives, and uh, I thought okay. So I went in and read with Deirdre and had a great time. And, wow! Uh, do, you, do you remember the part? Yeah, it was uh, Drake. Oh well, I mean, it wow! Was, it was, it was uh, John Black, I think, was wow. the, what they were calling him at the time. Okay. And Drake and I have stayed, uh, actually, we tested together and we stayed uh, friends this the whole time because it was very weird. I get a call about a week later. I knew I'd, I'd done well. I just had this gut feeling, but no call, no call. And I was uh -huh. doing an episode of something else, and then I get this phone call, would you do a soap in New York? And I thought, well, I guess, you know, and then... <laughs> And the great thing was is that the uh, casting director for um, uh, had remembered me from a screen test from years before and saw the screen test for Days of Our Lives. Uh, I guess NBC, they all share the same stuff. Uh -huh. And I, they, they said, you want to, you know, so I flew to New York. I auditioned on Monday. I got the job on Tuesday, and I started working on Wednesday. And uh, it was January, and it was cold. Wow. But... Uh, that was the start, and I thought, look, if this lasts six months and I get to pay off my visa card, I'll be one happy puppy. <laughs> Amen. You know, uh, I, I feel stupid, but I didn't really realize until I started researching you in preparation of speaking with you that you were actually quite the the character actor on primetime before you ever made it to the daytime. 
you know, we soap fans tend to get a little possessive of our favorite actors and think that we found them first. But you know, you had you had quite a thing going in primetime, kind of bouncing from from show to show. Yeah, it's called uh, being a bum. <laughs> um, I, I, but I, I work with a lot of great people over the course of time, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm one of those, I just believe actors act, and uh, I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, I actually, the week I did, uh, I did a pilot for um, CBS, and the next week I came back and did like one day on a soap for a friend, and she said, how can you do that? And I said, well, you know, actors, you work. <laughs> I mean, you could do a little part, a big part, a uh-huh. stage, a film, a this, that, and that's just always been my mentality is, you know, the actors act, period. You know, I, I also went back to the archive and pulled a handful of interviews and articles, and I read that you turned down a part in American Graffiti. Is that – how can that possibly be? I'll tell you the, the short story is is that I was fresh out of college. This guy, Gino Havens, uh, was casting American Graffiti in L.A. I, got a, I was living in Hawaii. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And um, I get a call, and uh, I flew back over to L.A., and I auditioned uh, for George, and um, uh, and they were shooting in my hometown. They were shooting in San Rafael, and I had really gone to Hawaii to get away from there, and it just wasn't worth it. And Gino said, look, um, uh, I read for... Uh, I read with Christy McNichol, actually, in my screen test. And it was the part that Paula Matt, I think, eventually did. And they said, well, um, you know, we've got something for you. You've got to stick around. And I, I just couldn't do it. Wow. I, literally, at that point in time in my life, it was early enough, and, and my judgment was impaired to the point where I, <laughs> I thought, no, 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 I, I, I can't go back home. I just couldn't do it. And uh, that won out. Do you have any regrets about that, or, or no? No. Everyone has, you know, made choices based sure. on the best they could do at the time, and unfortunately, that was the best I could do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm still here. Absolutely. So means, hey, look, we make bad decisions, and nonetheless, it winds up great. I mean, I always say I've been dragged kicking and screaming into a life far better than I ever could have imagined. <laughs> you, you've been pretty open about about. The fact that you spent a good part of your early years chemically altered, as you, as you put it, you, you said in more in more than one interview that you should be living in a dumpster by all rights, and I'm just wondering why aren't you? How, how were you able to pull yourself out of that morass? Well, actually, it would be under the dumpster uh, rather than, <laughs> than in it. Um, <laughs> well, you got to cover yourself in the rain, and the food smells after three or four days. I got help. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to uh, you know, have a, a moment of clarity when I was, uh, uh, before I'd really gotten into the business, when I, I think I was 28. I know I was. I got help, and uh, so I've been uh, chemical-free for almost, oh, my God, 31 years. Don't date yourself now. No, uh, no <laughs> life is doing that for me. Thank you very much. I don't have to help it at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think uh, IMDb has my my birth date off by one year. I tried to change it um, years ago, and because uh, I wanted to be accurate, of course, and and finally uh, I didn't, and uh, I, I couldn't do it for some reason. It wouldn't take the input, and then just a little while ago, I was filling out something, and I put in that birth date, and I said, they said, wait a minute, is this right? And I said, well, it says that on IMDb. I mean, and everybody knows if you read it on IMDb or Wikipedia, it's got to be true. It, 
It's absolutely true. Yeah, no, I, I hit a 12-step program, and, and uh, that's been that's been my way of life for a long time now. Wow. So, uh, another world. Did you have the foggiest clue when that show came into your life that it, it would end up dominating 13 years of your life when you took that part on? I had no idea what I was walking into. Not a clue. And by the grace of God, I walked into the greatest group of people. You know, Anna Stewart, to work with her, like one of God's gifts, you know, I, I and just, we had, we still do. I mean, we were still great friends. She's just the most wonderful human to work with. It just took off uh, all on its own. I had no idea, you know, and I had no idea that you know about I had no idea about any of it. I thought you were. I mean, I felt like after a while, I went from like working a day here and a day there uh-huh. to all of a sudden, you know, working all the time and doing appearances and stuff. And I thought that was normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I I didn't have any. If I had a day off, I thought they were firing me. <laughs> um, Plus, just just getting used to the mere grind of of daytime. I mean, here you are doing a show a day. I used to go home at night and weep because they'd give me another script for the next day. <laughs> and I think, oh, my God. You know, I mean, in a, in a film, if you do a third of a page a day, that's yeah. a lot. Uh-huh. In, a, in a sitcom, you get rehearsal. I mean, it's a half hour. It's 20-some-odd pages. You get rehearsal every day for a week, and then you go in and you get a couple of things. This, I mean, there were some days where Anna and I, when, it was, when we were at our top, our peak, sometimes we'd have 100 pages of dialogue a day. What happened was, is we were working such insane hours, they had money to burn, then we'd work until literally we had midnight mail, one of the directors. We didn't get out of there before midnight. We started at 7 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, you'd start out, you'd meet the car at 6 o'clock. Um, so it was long days. We'd be there regularly till 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. One morning, we ended at 4. I went home and slept for one hour, came back, and I looked at the script, and it said, I, I hadn't even looked at it before, and, and, and I, I thought, oh, great, only ten scenes. And I read it once, and we taped it. And I thought, you know what? I was worried about remembering my lines, but it's the worry that pushed them right out of my head. It's amazing what your brain can do when you ask it. Absolutely. Uh, I get very adept. There were other people who actually had different techniques, uh, like uh, writing it on um, their hand. <laughs> or... or or actually plates. Um, there, there was people at all kinds. Because you know, after a while, when you're doing this day after day after day, your brain's going, "Wait a minute! Didn't I just say that? Haven't I been here before?" Um, it was, it's, it's a bizarre experience. And, and, and on folks, you, you probably did already say that, and you probably, you probably had already been there before. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, Brandon. The, the, the key is, if you feel like that, you know, snap out of it because you've never been there before. Yeah. And it, I mean, I always felt like if I'm not interested, I will not be interesting. So I better be interested in what I'm doing every single day. Every, and my job is to make everything new, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, we all know what we're looking at. It's five days. Writing a show like that is so hard because you've got you've to fill an hour and not go anywhere, mm-hmm. right, until mm-hmm. Friday. It's, it's the hardest work I've ever done. I mean, believe me, there's no harder job the only people who've ever made fun of soap operas have never done one you bet i tell you flat out you betcha you know um and it, it helps if you're half out of your mind <laughs> you know because it works great um uh, you got to be able to like uh you know you got to be able to sit and then you know pull it up really quick uh-huh you know soap actors work really hard 
you know, you mentioned the long hours on another world. I got a chance to talk to Judy Evans some time ago, and she said the exact same thing. She said the hours on another world were twice as long as any other show she's ever done, and she wasn't quite sure why. It just it just worked that way for some reason. And you know, she would talk about how sometimes they would start at 7 a.m. and not finish until 7 a.m. the next morning. And and you know, that's right. We walked from Studio A into we had two studios back then into Studio B and start up the next show. <laughs> And that, crews that working around the clock, working on sets, and and yeah. you know getting everything together, and it, it was it was amazing the the work you guys pulled off with with the uh, with the amount of money that you didn't have. Another world was kind of like, hey, I got a barn. Oh, I got a camera. Let's make a soap. <laughs> I mean, it was really it felt like that, but it was always about the work. Once you got down to the floor, you know, whatever personal whatever stuff was going on, and you know, it's, you're all like on that lifeboat together. I mean, there's no one, there's nothing else out in Brooklyn. I mean, trust me, you're underground. You go in when it's dark. You come out when it's dark. These, this is your family. On the floor, it was always about the work. I mean, that's the one thing that was uh, I remember being always able. I was able to rely on that, and we yeah. had a lot of fun on the floor because there's no prompters. So you go you go skating. I get out there sometimes with Tommy Eplin, and it was like surfing. And you, you, you'd lose what the hell you were talking about. It would go off somewhere, and you'd skate around, and, and all of a sudden we'd wind back up on track, and we'd get done with that scene, and yes, we nailed it. And you knew. There was a moment in time there where that scene, where neither of us had a clue what what we were talking about. That fascinates me. What was it about that show that almost nobody had a bad working experience there? I mean, you hardly ever hear anyone who was on that show in any significant capacity talk about what a horrendous experience it was. I think that's because we were there for each other. And it, it comes from the top, for sure. But there was that element of, you know, the only time I ever really knew I was on TV is like when I'd be walking down a street and I'd see a, there'd be a, a, you know, a store window full of televisions and the show would be on. And I'd see myself up there and I'd think, Oh, right. Other people look yeah. at <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you know, and there's something about New York where you're actors. There's not a lot of personalities going on there. Uh-huh. You know, you're really there for the work. And there was always this great work ethic at, at Another World where it was always about doing the best work. And so we'd help each other. There was, You know, it was, it was just like that. And I thought, you know, they were all like that. They're not. In the last few years, there was there was continual turnover in the executive suite at Another World, and I'm just wondering how you guys managed to keep up the morale in the face of such ridiculous odds and such, I don't know, seeming network and corporate indifference. Interesting question. It, it, it was like a revolving door there. Uh, I think I must have had, I don't know, eight or nine over the course of time I was there. And, you know, actually, uh, John Valenti I'm still friends with, uh, Jill Phelps I'm still friends with. I mean, there's... There's uh, a lot of them that are John Weitzel. Um, uh, you know, you, it, there was a bonding that went on there, and it, it was we had each other. I mean, it was kind of like I'm sure what they must go through in Washington when you change presidents. There's <laughs> yeah. there's some people who are there through all of it. They've been uh-huh. there through 27 presidents, and they're still you know prop them up and they keep going. Yeah. <laughs> And we had each other. It's it's pretty much that simple. It's so funny that you, that you say that. And I've heard several people say, you know, you're out in Brooklyn in the middle of nowhere. And I'm wondering how this this studio that you guys filmed in, how that came to be there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, how how did it come to exist? Do you have any idea? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, they used these studios actually under Studio B. Um, was this? Uh, you could if you banged on the floor hard enough, you could hear it was hollow. They used to. Uh, there's a 
a huge, um, like, they used to float ships in there. Um, these were silent film studios, two side by side, one of which had become a school. There was still an underground passageway that connects the two, I heard. Oh, my um, God, you're kidding me. No, this went back that far. Wow. Um, and then so the, the, the roofs uh, used to roll back and let sunlight in, and the, uh, the, uh, the floors used to come out to float boats in. And uh, then NBC bought them and uh, kind of papered over everything. And, and uh, you know, there you have it. And wow. for a while there, uh, we used both studios. Then budget cuts, we shared the studio with Cosby for a while. Okay. Um, it's a great studio. You know, you had three amazing and completely different women playing your daughters throughout the course of the show, and they all ended up doing magnificent work, and you did magnificent work with them. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about working with a very young Ellen Wheeler, uh, a fresh-off-the-farm Anne H., and the glorious Jensen Buchanan playing playing Vicky and Marley. <laughs> well, actually, I worked with four. Um, there was another one in there that uh, uh, was short-term. Okay. I don't know if you recall. I don't recall um, that at all. I don't recall her name, unfortunately. Um, uh, she was very sweet, but uh, it didn't click. Um, that was right after Ellen, I think. Um, Ellen was so incredible to work with. Ellen was truly um, frightening in her um, ability to completely skits out on the daughters. And the only way I could tell, actually, who was playing whom, because there were times when you had Vicky pretending she was Marley to uh-huh. find out what Michael really thought. And, you know, you get on there, and, and the only way I could tell was I, I would look at her feet, because when she was playing Marley, she was pigeon-toed. And when hilarious. she was playing, isn't that something? And when she was Vicky, her, her feet were out. And so I thought if I ever got confused about which one I was talking to, I just had to look down. <laughs> She was, you know, she was remarkable. She's a wonderful actress, and a really nice human being. And and, uh, and Annie uh, uh, Hayes was uh, just that kick in the pants. She was, uh, you know, literally, I think uh, she was 17, 18, I mean, a child when she first got the uh And this was her job. first major job, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think she came right from uh, Hooterville. And, uh, uh, <laughs> literally. Uh, she was uh, she was great. I mean, she came on and she just grabbed that sucker like it was you know with both hands and never let go. And it was her part. And the same with Jensen. You know, I mean, it's it's truly incredible. You know, one of the things that you get to do when you have a running part like that is, I remember auditioning um, a, a pile of people over the course of time, and rarely do you get the chance to be there and watch a lot of different people come in and audition for the same part. Usually, you're the auditioning. Right, um, and and to watch people like when I tested people for to replace Anna Stewart at one point, or tested people. I mean, I remember doing the test. Uh, Eddie Fry, Robert Kelker, Kelly. There was a whole pile of people that wound up getting different parts, auditioning for something, and, and it's just uh, unbelievable. But when somebody comes in and owns it, there's no question. You, you just know. And that's what they did. That's what the, the all all three girls did. I mean, Jensen was fabulous, and uh, you know, real classy. I mean, uh, uh, just a whole different uh, animal. Each one their own. You know, Jensen was amazing, and she had the thankless role of, of following up Anne H, who was like a firecracker. It must have been so tough for her that first year or year and a half, getting her bearings on this show and following up Anne H. All three women had such um, a, a kind of a natural sense of who they were or who they were bringing in, you know, who these characters were. 
And the, the, the cast itself, there was no opposition. I mean, we were only there to help each other. There was no lack of help. I mean, if you needed support, it was there. So really, you know, it was seamless. I mean, I don't remember there it being diff- uh, a difficult adjustment at all for any one of them, except the one whose name I can't remember. <laughs> she had a rough time. Speaking as somebody who was there, what did that show lose when Doug Watson died? In some ways, was that was that the beginning of the end of the show, in some ways? No. The thing is about shows like this, as you've seen, uh, uh, they just keep rolling, no matter what. But when Dougie passed, I remember the day. I mean, uh, that was truly a very sobering uh, moment there. Um, he was a great guy. He was such a wonderful actor, and he just kind of, <laughs> he, he had this, I mean, between me and you, he would, when we would do these uh, cluster events where we do the big family thing, uh-huh. and uh, if he didn't have any lines and he was just supposed to be basically kind of uh, there wandering around being Mac in the background, he'd basically find an, a door and walk out and leave. <laughs> right? But when he had stuff to do, I remember when Carmen Duncan came on the show and he uh-huh. had, some, this is right before he died actually, he just was came up with some, he, he was just the most wonderful actor. He could pull it out, pull out all the stops, and just, just drop you right where you were standing. He was great. And that was a, it, it changed the character of a lot of things. But then you have to remember that it, it opened the door for Charles Keating. Sure, absolutely. Right? And, then, and that was a whole different show. I don't know what it must have felt like from the audience standpoint, because, you know, I, I didn't have a history of... of I didn't know the show before I got there, other yeah. than it had a reputation for having wonderful actors. So, I, I, you know, that wasn't what – the demise of the show was all, you know, politics. It was all network politics. Sure. I mean, they would – any show would die now for the numbers. I remember they – Oh, show, no they question saying, about it. Oh, if we ever get to an 18, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be off the air, you know. <laughs> now they're happy with the two. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> It, it, you know, it's so funny that Days of Our Lives is, is I don't know, uh, hovering around a three or so, and, and they're thrilled with it because it's actually come up from where it's been in the past year. And if you look at if you look at that versus where Another World was when it went off the air, to say nothing of when it was at its peak, but when it went right. off the air, it was, you know, still pulling in monster ratings. We're talking about five or six million people that they pulled, that they threw up for Absolutely. grabs when they took that show off the air. And loyalty, another world audience to this day. I get stopped, you know. I mean, the another world people were like no other people. And, you know, oddly enough, we were huge in Canada because when uh, they first started, I think they only got Edge of Night and Another World. I think those are the only two soaps Canadians got for a long time there. So there were generations of people who were like, we had a 60 share up there. And I mean, I was up there almost every weekend doing appearances. Sometimes you get ten thousand people showing up. You know, it was it was just unbelievable. In the U.S., it was pocketed a little. You had to go to certain like certain parts of the country, mm-hmm. and it would be big there. But the loyalty was just jaw dropping. You know, they they got it. There was something really special about that whole experience. I must say. You know, I, I know that you're close friends with Jill Farron Phelps, and she literally gave Another World one of the best years of its life when she was its executive producer. Yes, um, she did. You know, if, if you go online, you find pretty quickly that even if the emotion is sometimes misplaced, fans either love or loathe her. You know, there's not a lot of middle ground in terms of the audience, but actors almost universally adore her. And, right. you know, I'm just I'm wondering if you can talk to me about working for her. What is her genius? 
I'll tell you exactly what it is. I can tell you uh, two things. She was the first executive producer. I had never wanted any contact with anybody in the offices. A, because, you know, it's kind of like uh, you didn't know how long they were going to be there. But B, you know, you're an actor. And you don't, you know, I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the suits. But we started when she took over. There was that period of time where you, you don't know. You're getting these old kind of scripts that have been, you know, maybe not carefully looked at. All of a sudden, we start getting these scripts where there is no scene that you're involved with that you're not there for an absolute reason. I mean, there's nothing where you're just killing time. Everything was motivated. Everything had a, you had a reason for being in your scene. And I thought, holy cow. So I sent her a note and said, hey, I've never done this before, but this is amazing. And I had no idea who she was. Uh-huh. And then we had a storyline going on at one point where Dave Forsyth uh, was uh, – uh, you know, sick, uh, had John was, I don't know, going out with something. And um, uh, it gave all the actors um, the opportunity to go in and have their, their Emmy scene by his bedside um, before he, you know, he lapsed into toast. And uh-huh. I went in and I had this, you know, this thing, this monologue where I'm talking to his body. We, we do the rehearsal and then we t- take a break and we get notes. I come back into the scene, and as I'm doing the scene for tape, he starts to gasp for air. And all of a sudden, I got, it just, it just kicked me in. He's going to die. And, and, and all of a sudden, it just took that scene that I had been doing and made it ten times. I mean, it just, it, it, it involved me. It got, made it real right in the moment. I mean, I was crying at the end of it, and, and then we get done. And I said, Dave, why did you do that? What, what the hell, yeah. What made... yeah. And he said, Jill came over and whispered in my ear to do it. And I thought, I love this woman. I love this woman. You know, that she, she knows actors. She can say a word. She can give you the kind of food that you need, you know, and, and, and run with. It's really, she loves actors. I mean, she has respect for the process. And to be trusted like that. For to, for somebody to know you well enough to know, all you got to do is just give them a little, and, and they can run with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was it for life. As far as I was concerned, there wasn't, there's nobody better. You know, she did some amazing things on that show, and to my eye, at least, and I know I'm kind of in the in the minority on this, but to my eye, another world's fate was sealed the minute she was fired. I, I know that that show went on to last another three years or so, but in some ways, you look at it from the outside and you go, well. You know, if she can't make it work, and she's the best in the business, can anybody make it work? She made it work too well. I got stopped. I mean, you know, you get you get after doing it for a long time, you kind of know what it's what, what your experience out in public is like. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of people that stop you over the course of time. When the Charlene, John, um, uh, Michael, that whole thing was going on, I can't. Our numbers were way up. But I can't tell you how many more people on the street would stop me to say, my God, this is just great. I mean, it was, it was at least double. And I thought, wow, there's really something special going on here. Absolutely. It really tapped into something. I think sometimes you know, having the most successful show may not be everyone's goal. I don't know. Because it was, it was, she was the best. You know, it was kind of clear that NBC wanted one thing, Procter & Gamble wanted one thing, and Jill wanted one thing, and they couldn't kind of get their goals to mesh. 
That's one way of putting it. I, I don't know what that. I mean, how did how did it look? What did it look like? Did it look like? What do you mean? P and G had one goal and NBC had another. That was the the same period of time where Days of Our Lives was on fire in the ratings. I mean, they had they had the ratings momentum in all of daytime, and it it, it seemed as though NBC wanted a great companion piece to Days of Our Lives, which was kind of it was you know it was it was great soap opera in its own way, Days, but it was mindless i mean it was you know it was escapist it was it was you know an hour of fun and then you would pick up another world at at, at one o'clock there following days and it was you know very adult very gritty very intense you know soap opera the way it used to be it was it was a complete mismatch in terms of their schedule and it seemed like nbc wanted a more compatible companion piece to days and instead of throwing something new on the air they wanted another world to kind of transmogrify itself into something more like days something more escapist something easier to digest that's so and interesting. That's not that's not what Jill does. That's not that's not Jill's bailiwick. I, I never never thought of it like that. You know, because I know it from the inside. I know what the, sure. the skinny around the you know what they're talking about around the, the in the dressing rooms and stuff. Sure. And that's um, that never occurred to me. But uh, you may have a, a real point there. I I, I really don't know. Um, it it seemed, however, that the writing was on the wall. When Jill was fired, from there on, it was downhill. They eviscerated the show. That's when they tanked uh, the whole Hudson family. Mm-hmm. They just started making uh, what I thought was pretty unwise moves. Absolutely. You know, the the rather, I don't know, ignominious way that your time ended there, did, did any of that leave at all a sour taste in your mouth about the experience as a whole? No. I mean, it left a sour taste in my mouth about... The way <laughs> you have no idea, you know. There's the. It's not an apocryphal story. It's actually a true story um, of uh, an actor coming on the set one day. And the way it used to be at another world is because you'd have carps, uh, carpenters working on the set as you were rehearsing in the morning. They'd be working on the set for later on in the day down at the other end, and you'd have to tell the carps that you know stop hammering so you could shoot your scene. So one morning we all come in and and they're already. Um, you know, by mid morning, they're already they're 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 shooting something else, a screen test, at the be at in the first set, and we're working on the far set. And one of the other actors said, um, uh, "What are they screen testing for down there?" And uh, the AD had to tell him his part. He didn't know he'd been recast. Wow. Um, a lot of times they'll wait until um, you've shot your last scene that day, and then tell you, you don't come back. Um, it, it's brutal, you know, um, showbiz. So the, the way it came out for me was I actually found out through the rumor mill. Somebody mentioned it to me, I, and I was shocked. I thought, you're kidding. Uh, it turns out that no, um, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and then they said, well, would you stay off contract? And I said, yeah, sure enough, actors act. And so I stayed on off contract for a while until my um, – until I, uh, you know, went off the cliff, and, and, and then I woke up on ABC. So <laughs> uh, for me, it didn't work out all that bad. As a matter of fact, I always felt like I got the first lifeboat, um, you know, off the sinking ship. <laughs> you know, I, literally, I was on the air opposite myself there uh, for a couple of shows um, because I left a. I remember coming back and taping a video um, farewell because uh, I would hand carved a, a cradle out of a bar of soap or something for Vicky or Marley, and um, 
you know, leaving this, this and, and it was airing while I was starting on One Life to Live. Um, so literally, um, I didn't have much downtime between the two and uh, was grateful for that. Uh, I've always felt extremely lucky that uh, it occurred like that. And, you know, I, and I certainly wasn't the first. As a matter of fact, a lot of people just seem to have continually gone from show to show. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, 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 a, it's a talent or it's a technique. It's a, all unto itself. There's nothing else like it. You get people who do film, I, and I've watched it happen a million times, walk onto a soap set, and they gag. They go, you do this every day? I mean, With no rehearsal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you, you walk on a tape? I mean, and, and you know, they just don't, it doesn't compute. Yeah. You know, and we used to have, well, like, when I first started, we had 12-page scenes. You know, it was prior to MTV or right around the same time, so mm-hmm. they hadn't quite gotten to the short, you know, versions they have now. You don't have very long scenes like you used to have. But uh, the scenes used to be like you were running live. I mean, you just kept going. If you got lost, that's what the whole thing was. If you got lost, you just um, you kept out there until somebody said cut or until you found your way back. Um, it, it was like really, uh, it was just just this side of live television. You know, I was listening to an interview with, with Marge Doucet back in the spring, and, and she was talking about how in some ways soaps are like the last great American repertory theater. I mean, it's this troupe of actors who... <clears throat> you know, go out there and put on a show every day, literally. That's right. And that's why you depend on each other. I mean, there's no one else. There's no one who knows what it's like. There's no one who you have to depend on. But you, you, you become very, very tight because you're, you're turning out. You know, you, you think about it. I mean, uh, you get nine days or ten days on a, on a one-hour nighttime to, to shoot that sucker. You've got uh, a week to do a half-hour sitcom, and you've got one day to do 60 minutes or 50 minutes of usable television. I mean, it's a it's a prodigious feat. That's why, I mean, executive producer-wise, there's not that many people who can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, writer-wise, I mean, who can, you know, well, it, 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 I mean... That's you, the hardest job in television is being a head writer on a soap. That's something that they actually gave us a lot of latitude with in another world that you don't get much latitude, that it wasn't the same other places. You got a lot of latitude to... Uh, in uh, to to voice what you feel about you know certain decisions your character might be making. I mean, I remember, like at one point they kept wanting me to say uh, to Vicky or Marley, uh, you know, well I could just kill her, and I said I won't say that. I won't say that. I won't put that out there on television. I will not say I could kill my kid. I mean, I know what you mean, but I don't want I don't want to say that. And they gave me you know trouble, and and but I I just wouldn't say it. And eventually they gave up. Um, they tried to pair me with somebody one time. I remember uh, that I had not much interest in pairing with. And um, <laughs> you know, you 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 can't make a person act. You can give them the words, uh-huh. but um, you know. The, the, anyway, they were really responsive to us, uh, as opposed to other shows where you say it word for word, word perfect every time. You know <laughs> what the writers wrote. And that makes a difference in how involved you get. So, even before I approached you, I knew that One Life would not be your favorite topic of conversation. And, you know, whatever you wish not to discuss, we don't have to discuss. But, you know, before we open this can of worms, I just want to say for for those of my listeners who may not know the story, back in the early 90s, funny enough, while you were toiling away on Another World, which was One Life to Live's direct time slot competitor in almost every market, uh, One Life was one of ABC's crown jewels. I mean, they had a head writer 
by the name of Michael Malone who really got it. He understood what made great soap opera. They were telling interesting stories. They were doing innovative things, and it was really a magical time over there. And so, of course, ABC fired Malone, and the show went, fell into a nearly unrecognizable state of disrepair. And by the time Jill Phelps was brought in, quite literally nothing on that show was working. I mean, God bless Claire Levine. She's one of the best writers in the history of television, but the show just wasn't about anything anymore. And ABC brought in Jill because when you're in trouble, that's the woman you want on your team. And she came in with a mandate to fix it and fix it yesterday. And for better or for worse, in Sam Rappaport and in you, she and Pam Long and subsequent writers found a building block. They found something that honestly worked, and she took that and ran with it. She did. And, and, and you know, I, I, again, I, I, I don't know, I didn't know anything about, I was listening to what you just said there with rapt attention. I had no idea of any of this, really. <laughs> um, I know I, I, I got a job, and, and uh, you know, I knew that they weren't of a mindset to hire any old farts, so I realized I was pretty darn lucky to, mm-hmm. to and I took the job as a day player uh, initially. I was not under contract. And uh, it was, you know, uh, come on, uh, try a few shows and see if it works. And uh, I felt like, oh, boy. And I got to work with Hillary, and, and it just clicked. And I had a great time, and then they offered me a contract. And wow. it was pretty much that simple. And, you know, I, I was extremely sensitive to the fact that when you you got these people who have been there forever, and, and you know, you have a proprietary interest for your show, and I certainly watched it happen on Another World where, you know, the new guy had come in, and they give him all this attention. And sure. Uh, it has, uh, uh, you know, it, it can be a, it can be really rough on everybody else. All of a sudden, to not be working as much or to have their character kind of, you know, put to the side. And so I was really tried to be very aware that I was not shoved down the audience's throat or, you know, the cast's throat or whatever. To what avail, God only knows. Because I don't know what what the what the end looked like out there. I, I personally, I was as I was stunned. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, but I'm in the middle of a storyline. Um, and uh, But that was just it. The decision was to not renew, and I thought, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to... Spit it out, Brandon. I mean, you know, my sense is that some ensembles, it, just like you said, some ensembles, especially daytime ensembles that are so tight-knit because they're in the trenches every day, they operate a little bit like a caste system, and you really have to kind of earn the right to work your way up those ranks. And I'm not looking for you to badmouth anybody here, don't get me wrong, but it's my feeling that you were met with quite a bit of resistance from certain members of that caste because of your splashy entrance into the Landview fabric. You know, I'm just wondering, when did you know you were in trouble on that show, or did you ever know that you were in trouble on that show? You know, I really, because Another World was my only experience prior to that, I didn't know that people worked in an entirely different mindset. So when I came on there, I was still the nut job I'd been on Another World, which was, you know, I'd look at my stuff. I'd, I'd, I kind of, I ad-libbed an awful lot on Another World, you know, and, and usually they loved it. Um, and I, we played. I mean, it was, it was all about the work. And, and One Life was much more um, structured and much more by the book and much more word for word. I just, I thought they were kidding. I mean, I just didn't really get it. And it, when I finally did, my attitude apparently had stepped on enough toes um, that, um, you know, the damage was done. 
And uh, I knew uh, pretty early on that uh, uh, probably the first year, maybe this, maybe by the end of the second, um, there was a lot of rumblings going on. And so I really um, changed my whole attack. And I'd go home at night and I memorized everything before I came in. And I didn't mess around. I didn't play on the set. I didn't joke. And goofing around was, you know. So, I, I mean, I can absolutely take responsibility for a lot of that. But by the end of that year, I really felt like I'd earned my place. I mean, I mm-hmm. felt like I'd, whatever the objections might have been. And, of course, there's a lot of objections like you can't do anything about. Because I think there was some of the, that initial resentment that was just never overcome, you know. Um, I think that I was uh, pretty much, you know, I went from zero to, uh, you know, 60 and, and overnight. Absolutely. Uh, working five days a week, and I think that stepped on a lot of toes. On One Life, they had been through hell, really. They had been through all kinds of um, executive changes themselves and writer changes. And, uh, you know, they had really gotten tight as a cast because, that's the way you survive when you go through all these, you know, changes. So uh, basically, you know, when I came on, I was just one more change. And um, uh, whether or not it was it, it served the show or, or really helped, it was kind of uh, almost took almost was secondary. It was almost met with, well, here's somebody else trying yep. one more thing, and yep. yada yada yada. And, um, you know, Jill didn't have an easy time. I mean, their ratings were the best they've been in ages, and still she didn't have an easy time. You know, it's interesting. For as big of a monster as film or television seems to be, it really boils down to personalities, you know, individuals, and what a person's take on it, you know, it, it, what the, how the network feels about the show, how the liaison, you know, interacts with people. I mean, it's very, it's very much a person-to-person kind of uh, business. You know, you came on that show, and you were such a fresh, dynamic jolt of energy. And so, uh, you know, of course, a writer paying attention will write toward that because it's it's something it's a building block. It's some it's a foundation to build upon. In daytime, you have you can't be islanded. You have to be spread all over the canvas and in a bunch of different people's stories to take hold, or else the audience will disregard you. And so, they they put you with the whole Bo and Nora thing. They put you with Todd. They put you with Blair. They you know, they spread you all over that canvas pretty brilliantly, and it's it's easy to see where resentments could take hold because all of a sudden here you were everywhere. Right, and it, it wasn't easy for them. And, and on top of that, I had, I mean, working with Roger, we had the best time. He was so great to work with. We just had a great chemistry. Um, I had a great chemistry with uh, Hillary. Um, you know, there there was, it just, seemed like, and I was told uh, from the beginning, you know, it, it brought up, you know, it made everybody else kind of sit up and wake up and whatever, and I thought, okay, okay great, you know, I, I, I could be, a, uh, I'm glad I'm helping, and then it uh, turned and uh, bit me on the ass, and I, 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 I don't really know why, I'm, I know that somehow I must have contributed to it, in, but in ignorance, not uh, out of anything else, so, you know, live and learn. What a fantastic foursome that emerged between you and Bob Woods and Hillary and Catherine. Is, is it true that you and Catherine were were already friends and that you actually recommended her for the part when when the when the part of Lindsay came around? That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. The, they came up and uh, it was you know not that I had any uh, capacity for decision making in terms sure. of actually affecting it, but they said, well, uh, you know, these are what we're looking at, and I said, well, 
Catherine, you know, and because uh, Michael and I have been friends for a long time. And uh, I love Catherine. And so uh, that just seemed like very natural. And God knows she came in and took that sucker by the, you by the horns, didn't she? <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think uh, people were asked to come up with their best work in a long time. I mean, that's what I saw happen. I saw because, only because other people would say that. You know, even even in the crew, they'd say, mm-hmm. boy, you know, um, that uh, people, you know, Jill comes up with, uh, she asks you to really show up. You can't you can't just dance around with her storylines, you know, not when she was that involved. And she was involved in writing all the scripts, I mean, helping out anyway, very uh, hands-on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, there, I don't think there's a better exec in daytime, really, not that I've ever worked for. Um, certainly not somebody that has seen pour their heart into it as much. How did you enjoy working with Hillary and Bob? I mean, you can't find five better people than Hillary Smith. You can't. Uh, and Bob, I mean, he's Bob Woods. Absolutely. Uh, actually, he always, um, I, I think, had a thing for my ex-wife, so uh, we, uh, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, he's a sweetie. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, what can I say? It was great working with him. And again, though, you know, it took me, it took a while to be able to come up to the different work ethic that was present at that studio than had been uh, than what I was used to. I mean, truthfully, I didn't know if I could do it. I don't really know how to explain it except that, you know, on, on one life you showed up with all your stuff already done. There, You, you didn't play around. Once you, once you got to the set, um, it was like, okay, do it. On uh, another world, it was much more like, okay, let's find it. <laughs> It just took a while to be able to, uh, for me to be able to kind of get that. Um, I didn't know how to stay fresh and do that at the same time. What kind of what kind of fan response did you get during that time? Since you were in essence kind of interloping on the lead couple of the show. Well, you know, I think about that, and I think I got the the fan club award every year I was there uh, for those three years. Is you know favorite, um, I don't know something. And I felt that that was, you know, because that I would always invest myself in what I was doing. Um, the audience seemed to appreciate it, and so I thought, well, hey, this is the, it's good. Um, I never got any bad uh, feedback. But then again, you know, I didn't pay uh, close attention. It, it seemed like, you know, I actually um, went on the boards, went on the Internet uh, before I got on the show and, and said, you know, go easy on me. I'm, 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 I'm coming in here and... Uh, you know, may make a few mistakes, but it seemed to take off, and it was always, uh, and, and there was, I never got any bad feedback from fans. Let's put it like that. I never felt, um, you know, people are always going to have different opinions. That's fine. Like me, don't like me, but uh, uh, all in all, I felt very appreciated. So Nora, Nora sleeping with Sam and that whole mess. In in retrospect, was that a mistake? What do you mean that whole mess? <laughs> Nora sleeping with Sam was the best idea we had. Um, well, look at the story you gave. That's absolutely true. And when I mean, when you talk about they've spent the past eleven years kind of working their way back into each other's orbits, and I don't know if you still follow the show today, but but they're finally coming back together uh, this season. And you know, it's it's amazing to think that they've gotten eleven years of story out of that one event. They're uh, they're kind of the. Uh, uh, 
you know, one of those couples in daytime is like the Titanic. It, uh, the, well, not the Titanic. <laughs> I want to say it's just this big ship that keeps going, but the Titanic and an iceberg. Um, I guess, you know, they hit an iceberg and keep going, you know. They're, they're intrepid. I believe I was brought in there, actually, to throw a wrench in, in Nora and Bo. I mean, that was Sam's purpose. Mm-hmm. There was no other reason for me on the sh- for me to be on the show. I think the mm-hmm. the coach thing with uh, with uh, uh, Roger just kind of happened out of the blue. Um, you know, you, because they, what they do when you're new on a show is they try you out with everybody sure, and see absolutely. if anything clicks. And uh, with him, so that you won't be islanded, so that you can interact with the canvas and and like you said, see what works, test the chemistry. Well, yeah, you know, these writers are so good. I got to tell you, when I started in another world, what I knew how to do was because there was no backstory or there was minimal backstory at the time. I thought, like, okay, um, I would pick a new backstory for me every day. As an actor, you need a reason to be there, and so, like, for every scene except, of course, with my daughters, I'd say, okay, you wanna you wanna wind up in bed with them. I mean, that's your goal. People have to read something in your eyes. Uh-huh. So, sex is always a good thing. Um, but I, w- I picked. I remember at one point I thought, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, Michael Hudson's backstory. I'm a Vietnam War vet. I'm a little shell shocked. I picked this whole thing. Within weeks, all of a sudden, I start getting these scripts about his Vietnam background and that he was shell shocked and all the stuff I'd just been acting. I never said a word to anybody. Starts showing up in the script. I think, boy, these these writers are phenomenal. <laughs> so when they tr- when they try you out with different people. They're looking for chemistry because you can't write chemistry. You just can't. It's either there or it's not. And so they try you out um, across the landscape to see if there's chemistry with anybody, and then they take it from there. It it kind of is throwing it at the wall and see what sticks to a certain degree. You know, if if somebody says, pass the salt, and you just pass the salt, that's one thing. But if all of a sudden... You look at them you like bet. they just asked you to, you know, for the for the for their arm, and and you take a beat and then you grab it and you put it over there, glaring them right in the <laughs> eye. You know, everybody goes, "What was that?" Right? It's the same action and it's all done over passing the salt. Mm-hmm. It's what you invest in it. It's what's behind it that makes you it interesting, it. and especially in daytime because the the, the dialogue is so similar. You know, there's got to be something behind it, and that's what makes it interesting, and that's what makes the audience, you know, pay attention. So that's really what your job is as an actor. So when when Jill left in 2001 to go to General Hospital, you and Tim Gibbs and a couple of other so-called SOJs were were dismissed pretty summarily, and I thought that you were, you know, remarkably sanguine about the entire ordeal. And I'm wondering if it was just that you had been around the block on another world and you kind of had a uh, a firm comprehension of how the business worked, or you know what. Kind of what was going through your mind at that point? I, I, I was really stunned. I, I thought, it's, I, I just didn't get it. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is is that uh, it was a gift from the day it happened. It was, uh, it was out of my hands. And, uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, it's interesting to watch other people who've been in the same boat. Some people have gone to the fans and done this and done that and protested and gone to the sure. president or whatever. And um, my feeling is is that everything happens for a reason, even if you don't understand it. I, you know, I just assume that um, there, there, there's a purpose. I just don't see what it is yet. And, um, you know, I have enough experience in other areas of my life of, of letting go and letting God, you know, just trusting that everything works out for the best. 
And I, I'm still waiting to see how that worked out for the best, but um, <laughs> I'm sure one day it'll hit me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if you had been 20 years younger and going through that, would you have handled yourself with similar grace, do you think? No, I would have been uh, in prison, probably. Um, <laughs> Well, actually, I did wind up younger. I, I uh, apparently I went upstairs and came down much younger. About yes, you did. Later, <laughs> and uh, you certainly did, sir. You know, I, I was actually I was uh, to be. I'm not letting any cat out of the bag. I was told that I wasn't going to be replaced, and I thought, well, how do you do that? I mean, you know, I, I, it was a good story. And then I get a phone call one day saying that uh, that word had leaked out that they'd hired Larry. Yeah, your and, old buddy Larry uh, Law. Yes, indeed. And I first, that was, he was the first call I made. I called him up. I said, Lair, dude, don't don't think twice. It's your job. It wasn't mine anymore. It was yours. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I guess I'd been telling him for years, don't worry, Larry, there's a good job just waiting for you out there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> turned out to be that one. <laughs> it turned um, out to be yours, yeah. Yeah, well, no. Mine was over. <laughs> that, I was clear about that. Yeah. Uh, I just thought, boy, what a small world. So I mean that's pretty much it. There was no, there was no more. Um, there was really nothing to say about it, Brandon. You know, it was done. It was over. So you know, making a uh, any kind of fuss that uh, wasn't going to do anybody any good. And, sure. and uh, you know, the nicest thing that happened was that their switchboard had to shut down because they got so many calls. So um, um, I felt good about that. Wow. You know, talk to me about daytime in general. I mean, they've been trying to kill AM radio for 50 years now, and it's still around. And they've been saying for years that that soaps are on the ropes, and they're still chugging. But it feels like it's getting pretty scary out there for daytime television, with only you know seven soaps left standing and rumors swirling about no fewer than two of those. As someone who's excelled in this genre multiple times and for lots of years. What does this genre need to do to save itself, in your view? What What do you think? Boy, that that has been the topic of many discussions, and I I don't know whether or not it's simply an anachronism of an earlier time. I think that it's you know, you know people are now geared into MTV kind of editing mm-hmm. and uh, r- r- the the rapid pace uh, of uh, quick cuts, and you know soaps were you know, used to have fourteen page scenes. I mean, just talking and talking. So people's attention span, um, you know, people are geared for something that moves much more quickly. I don't know whether or not you can have that much happen five days a week. You know, if you're if you're only doing 20 shows or 22 over the course of a season, then you can have a very fast-moving hour, right? Mm-hmm. But soaps, by definition, take a lot more time. I mean, you just can't possibly have that much material. You know, uh, what you can do in, um, you know, you, you have to drag a story out for a long time. <laughs> and there's just no room for that anymore, I don't think. So, I, you know, I, 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 I don't think the prognosis is necessarily good, but I would hope some other scripted fare comes up to uh, replace it, you know. Um, I mean, oh, I've always been in love with the novellas, you know, the the uh, the... Uh, Spanish shows, you know, the idea that, uh, which is really, truly a repertory theater, and that uh, you do these arcs where, you know, one arc you're the the maid, and the the next arc you're the diva, you know. Switch parts, change parts, make it interesting for both the audience uh, and you. Um, And it moves much more quickly, because, you know, there's these arcs that don't last very long. I think they tried that on a number of shows, 
doing these out of context, completely weird arcs and stuff. I don't know if they've been successful. I mean, I, I guess if they had been, they'd be doing more of them. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's time maybe winding down. You know, I was talking with, I had, I had Pam Long in here, like I told you, and I was talking with her about this, and, you know, w- what I was telling her was, in some ways, a big part of the problem is that primetime television was able so brilliantly to take the, the, the basic tenets, the hallmarks of the soap form, I mean, the, the continuing plots, the cliffhangers, the evolving characters and relationships, they were able to take that and adapt it just enough and put them into these great cool shows like, NYPD Blue and Grey's Anatomy and, you know, all these great shows. They were able to take the basic form and adapt it and make it exciting. And in in some ways, they've made soaps kind of irrelevant. Because if you can get your soap fix at night watching these great shows and watching these interesting shows, what's the point of, you know, turning well, on your TV at, at 1 in the afternoon and watching One Life? That's, that's exactly uh, what I'm talking about. The fact is, is all like a show like Grey's um, Anatomy is nothing but uh, a compressed you know, six months on a soap. Sure. It's all nose hair uh, shots. You know, you're right in somebody's face. You're you're interested in. Uh, I remember when uh, when uh, uh, what was the, the the show about the president? Uh, oh, the West Wing. West Wing came on. It was just a brilliant soap. First episode, you knew who everybody was. You knew what the relationships were. It was immediate, and, you know, you didn't tune in that show, just like Grace. You don't turn in to watch surgery. You know, you you, you tune in to watch what the people are going through mm-hmm. while they're doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what a soap is. A soap is watching what people are going through while they're going through whatever it is that's happening. So the thing that you can do with a one hour when you're doing 22 hours a year as opposed to 300 hours a year is you can compress it all down. And so a lot happens in the course of that hour. It's exactly the same thing, okay, just uh, uh, condensed. So you're right. I mean, in, in keeping with that mindset that, that, that we need things to happen more quickly, mm-hmm. what the nighttime shows are, are a reflection of that exact, you know, ethic that it happens now. It happens quickly. You see her go through something, and then at the end of the show you're left with, oh, my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's what it helps about. Absolutely. So if a, if a great part opened up on one of these shows, would you like to take that plunge again? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I love the work. I think it's great. You know, I mean, it's a, uh, and especially for me, cause, uh, you know, left to my own devices, I have the attention span of a hummingbird. And these shows, you know, demand incredible focus. And um, uh, I, I just, I love the medium. You know, that I think that's why, um, uh, I, you know, my job's lasted a while is because I was excited to be there always. Absolutely. You know, I've seen you pop up on, on things like Law and & Order and, and, you know, the, the primetime procedurals of the day. Uh, once once you get used to, to one of these soap schedules, one of these soap grinds, is it hard, is it hard for you to, to kind of go back to a, a primetime show and, and the very lackadaisical pace and, you know, kind of no, decompress again or no? It's like for a director. If you can direct a soap, you can direct anything. If you can act on a soap, you can act on anything because the, the, there's no pressure like a soap opera, in my experience anyway. Um, there, there's just nothing like it. So having the the, the, the time on these other shows is just like uh, a gift. 
But, you know, again, you've got that muscle developed for, you know, sitting around waiting. Because even on a soap, you can be sitting there for hours as they're plodding through something that doesn't go right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got two minutes to get on set and be in hysteria. And you've got to be able to pull it up and, and, you know, just on a moment's notice. So it's the best training in the world. You know, I think it got a bad rap because a lot of people would get into the sameness, the, the monotony of, of it. And part of that's just the medium. Part of the television flattens, and you really got to jump out of it. You got to make people pay attention because the medium itself has a tendency to kind of monochrome everything. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can do that, if you can, if you can really get your stuff together in soaps, I think there's absolutely nothing else you can't do. You just have to. You know, they're all separate talents, though, because soap is is a mix. You know, film is all in the eyes. Stage is your body, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, soaps is kind of a, a mix. You're telegraphing, you're not telegraphing, the eyes, you're overacting, but you're not, you know. I mean, you really got to, you know, if you go from a soap like to a film, you need an adjustment period to, like, bring it all inside. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, and I love going to work every day. I mean, there's no other... There's no other job you can have, you know, like that, and live in New York anyway, where you can go to work every day. That's, sure. that's a, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So, what have you been up to in the years since you left daytime? Well, actually, I came uh, back here. Uh, my son was getting uh, was uh, hit 16, and um, it was time for uh, dad to be around full time. Gotcha. So, um, I came back here, and what a uh, blessing that is! It's been great. And I, I thought, well, what am I going to do up there? And, and, but you know what? It, it worked out. I did a cold case, and they did this and that and the other thing. And, and I've been doing a lot of plays. I actually did a play my ex-wife directed um, uh, this last summer. We're going to be doing it at the Berkshire Theater Festival uh, next uh, next summer. No, so I've been doing a lot of – I've done uh, probably a, at least a half a dozen plays up here, a lot of play readings. There's a lot of uh, uh, culture. And uh, the, the we have the uh, the Berkshire Theater Festival and the, uh, the, uh, the there's the playwrights workshop during the summer that this guy Joe Kakachi brings in. Um, there's a lot going on. So um, and then I write. I'm, a, I'm I was sitting here actually. I write screenplays. So I've been sitting here um, uh, writing for months. <laughs> yeah. Anything we might see someday. Hopefully, you know, here and there I get, they actually pay me for uh, some of this stuff, and uh, uh, the miracle might be that uh, something actually uh, gets done. Anything you, anything you want to, you want to tip off here? No. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 we, we don't talk about anything before. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it has a tendency to kind of burn it up somehow in the ether, and then you go, well, wait a minute, where'd they go? Um, so it's better I sit here and, you know, be on the verge all uh -huh. the time. And is is Nicholas showing any interest in in following in Dad's footsteps at all? Oh no, thank God, no, no. He has, um, you know, I think having a mom and a dad in the business was just enough. And he yeah. actually <laughs> has been a chef uh, since he was twelve. I gave him a full set of knives when he was twelve, um, uh, and uh, he he's always wanted to be a chef. So he um, he's now working. He's nineteen, um, just turned nineteen. He's a sous chef. He was just promoted to a sous chef at a at a four-star restaurant in a very good place. He'll be How fantastic. To, um, yeah. He's, no, he's wonderful at what he does. Um, he, well, I, I, I take that back. He's wonderful at cooking. He hasn't washed a dish since he was four, but, um, <laughs> um, but he loves to cook. He's a great cook. 
But, you know, I think it was his way. He's just had his own path since day one, and, you know, it's delightful to see because, you know, I just think he's too sane and um, too balanced. You know, nobody who's all that tightly wrapped becomes an actor. I mean, it just comes with the territory. So (laughs) it's with a sense of pride, I think, that he's, 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 you know, not as messed up. Wow. Do you still get recognized? No, all the time. You know, I'm just wondering if you if you if you live a pretty anonymous life, or if you still get mobbed quite a bit. I don't think mobbed would be the word, but you know, oddly enough, it depends on context. It depends on where I go, what part of the country, or if I make the mistake of going into a mall. Or, um, but you know, the, the fact is, his fans are always just very appreciative. You know, the, uh, people don't usually come up. Uh, in, I remember friends who played villains having a difficult time uh, when their show was on the air. But in a way, when you're out of sight, you are out of mind to a certain degree. But uh, Another World fans, One Life to Live fans, absolutely, I mean, uh, come up and say thanks or say hey or whatever. So it's very nice in that regard. People are always really great. You know, I always love it when you're, whenever your voice pops up on General Hospital these days to announce a, a news bulletin or a cast change or something. And you, know, you, know that, you know that voice the second you hear it. I mean, it's instantly recognizable, and it, it always gives me a little smile. Is that right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I thought I could stay anonymous that way. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I'm, look, it's the best job in television. I'm very grateful for it. You know what's funny? I had I had Linda Dano in here a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about her old buddy Steven Schnitzer. And he is—I don't know if you watch TV these days—but he is the king of commercials. Every time you turn on the TV, he is hawking uh, a car or a piece of medicine or something. I mean, it's it's hilarious. And and like you, he's got one of those recognizable voices that you just know it when you hear it. Right. And it's, and it's I, so I funny. Bought, I bought everything he advertises <laughs> immediately. I hear I hear his voice. I go out and I buy it. And, um, you know, my I didn't really need the Vagisil, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, <laughs> God bless him. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is, you know, you get known for one job. Exactly one, right. One thing. But the fact is, is, you know, you're an actor. So the fact, for me, the, there's no difference. You know, you have a job, you, have, you, you do a play, you do a voiceover, you write a screenplay. It's all within the same... Um, uh, within the same field, uh, you know, I have the same friends, I talk to the same people, I'm not as crazy busy working, um, but it's uh, still, you know, it's still my world, it's still where I live, so I'm, and I'm always happy for another world alumni to see their little faces or voices show up somewhere, I think, great, God bless them. Absolutely. So what's on the horizon for Kale Brown? What's, what's coming down the pike? You know, I don't know. I know I have a play next summer. I know I'm writing my took us off right now on a new screenplay, and uh, I'm, I have great hopes for this. So um, uh, between now and then, you know, I'm, if my agent calls, I go in and audition. That's it. Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, I hope you keep me posted on the screenplay because I'd love to have you back in here to talk about that whenever, whenever we're ready for the world premiere. Believe me, nothing would uh, please me more than that. <laughs> So, thank you. It's been fun. Listen, it was a great honor having you on the show and a great thrill. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and this was this was truly a, a spectacular thrill for me. Well, thank you so much. I had a great time. Thank you. Before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Sure. Uh, what would you like me to say, please? I, 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 I have no a wit of my own. Uh, if you could just <laughs> tell me what to say, I'm happy to do it. As long as it includes the words Kale Brown and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Uh, hi, this is Kale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Fantastic. Thank you so, so, so much.
did I, what did I say? <laughs> did it make sense? Uh, if it made sense, good, okay. It made perfect sense and it was brilliant. I loved it. Okay, fine. Then uh, that's all that matters. Okay, buddy, you take care. You thanks too. so much. Thank I had a lot of so fun. Much. Thank you. Okay. Likewise. Bye. The fantastic Kale Brown, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for November 10th, 2009. I want you to come on back next week. Next week, I'm bringing back the fabulous Connie Pasolacqua-Hayman, uh, better known to everybody as Marlena De La Croix. She wrote for years on on uh, a column called Critical Condition in Soap Opera Weekly. She's now on her own at MarlenaDelacroix.com. This month, she celebrates her 20th year as Marlena, and she's coming by the buzz to... Uh, Mark that occasion to talk about soaps, to talk about her years writing about soaps, her, her, her bests, her worsts. It's a great 20th anniversary celebration with the fantastic Connie Pasolacqua-Hayman next week on Brandon's Buzz. Uh, I haven't set a firm date for that. It's either going to be Tuesday night or Thursday night, and I haven't decided. We haven't really hammered out which day it's going to be yet, so stay tuned to brandonsbuzz.com and blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz for all the show information and the minute that that we decide and we get it firmed up, I will throw it up there. So, uh, But it's either Tuesday night or Thursday night of next week at Brandon's Buzz, a 20th anniversary uh, salute to Marlena Delacroix herself, the fabulous Connie Pasolacqua-Hammond, right here on Brandon's Buzz. Uh, I mentioned the websites already, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz um, and uh, brandonsbuzz.com. The first one is kind of mission control for Brandon's Buzz. You can listen to the show. You can listen to old shows. You can download old shows. You can get information on what's coming up on the show, what is on the show, what's been on the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. You can kind of do everything in one spot right there. It's one-stop shopping, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There is a full and complete radio archive of every show that I've done on Brandon's Buzz. At the top of the page, click on the blue radio button. That takes you to a page where you see all my guests listed by date. You can click on each date. That will take you to a page where you can see the great banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can listen to the corresponding show. There's a little widget on top of the banner. So that's at brandonsbuzz.com, my blog. You can also find me at iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Uh, Just type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can download individual old shows as podcasts, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So that's at iTunes. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm Brandon's Buzz on both of those things. I'm all over the Internet. There's no excuse not to be able to find me. Uh, just click. Uh, just click. Just Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And uh, I appreciate all of you guys coming in my direction, and I hope you continue finding and coming in my direction and continue listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams, 
Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.